If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. My next guest is a very inspiring character, a great songwriter, a cool dude. Uh, He's got a studio. He's producing other people's records. He writes with a lot of other people, and he keeps uh, the artistic pulse alive, man. It's not easy. He's an independent artist, but he's pretty successful, I would say. And uh, yeah, man, he's just, uh, last time he was on, I, I got some comments about how much people loved his songs and his spirit inspired me so we invited him back known for his intimate tenor signature guitar style and moody melodies los angeles based solo artist shane alexander has shaped a distinctive career for himself with his evocative indie folk and soaring acoustic rock having extensively toured the u.s europe and canada since 2005 both as a headliner and supporting acts like bonavere lucinda williams seal jewel john hyatt suzanne vega sticks and yes sticks and yes what the fiercely independent artist has developed a loyal international fan base and performed on many fabled stages including tnt radio but i don't think last time you were here we were live on video so this is new am i right about that or were we already in video land I believe Welcome, you and I Shane. saw each other, but yeah, good to see you, brother. Uh, I good believe you and you. I saw each other, but the rest of the world did not see us. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So now the rest of the world is seeing us. We're on YouTube yeah. and Rumble, and, and things are going to the next level, as it were. So, but so you were just telling me over the weekend you produced an entire EP and you helped co write. Talk about that project. Uh, I did. It, it was wonderful. Uh, I think last time we spoke, I mentioned that in 21, I really had a boon of of doing co-writes over Zoom because towards the end of 2020 into 21, there wasn't a lot happening. And so Joshua Smith is an artist based in Nashville. He used to live in L.A. and we're friends. And so we wrote uh, we wrote four songs together over the last year or so on Zoom. <clears throat> and uh, he's a really amazing singer. He He's a white boy with a, a lot of soul and and so I, I, I just sort of heard a concept for the record that was going to be as minimalist as possible, get really, really killer players. Kind of, I, I reference like Rod Stewart and Frankie Miller and things like that, where it's like bass drums, acoustic organ, and an amazing voice, and not trying to overcook it. And so I had uh, Darren Johnson, the great Darren Johnson, who's played with Miles Davis and Macy Gray and Alanis on uh, piano and Wurlitzer. Uh, Rob Humphreys, who's also just a monster, a young guy, but so accomplished. He's played with everybody from uh, Leonard Cohen to Casey Musgraves. And uh, my dear pal Taras uh, Perdoniak on bass, who played with Dwight Yoakam and Lucinda and Steve Earle. So those were the ba- the guys. And uh, Josh, we, we just, we I had a really good sort of game plan to come in and get with the guys and get our tempos up and running. And as soon as we felt like the 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 track was happening, we liked the sort of beginning and ending, uh, we would put down a scratch. Uh, we would put, keep the last pass from the band, then have Josh, the artist, do a scratch vocal and guitar. Then the band would play to that. And I would just get a few more takes and make my notes and boom, we would press on. And, you know, having guys of that level, like, it's just, it's such an egoless space when you're working with, like, ultra pros. You know, they just, it's just fun. We're just giggling all day and just, like, as this music comes to life, it just feels like such a gift. I'm often really emotional because I'm like, God, this is so awesome. Like, 
how is this even happening, you know? And so then the next day I had Josh come in and I got his vocals and guitars and the third day got him for just a little bit more and sent him home. And I've just been sort of comping and cleaning things up and making a few notes for overdubs, but I really want to keep it very minimalist because it's just so strong this way. I think the bigger, the more stuff I put on it, the smaller it'll become. And right now it sounds killer. I'll, I'll sneak you a little listen, you know, off, off the air. Off air. Yeah. I mean, definitely minimalism makes everything huge when you like load yeah. overdubs and i'm so guilty of this on so many of my records they're just like i am too i am too fest, i am dude. too yeah but, <laughs> but yeah uh, there is an argument for you know trying to hold that back so uh, we talked to last time a little bit as well you know i'm finishing my uh eighth solo record and it's quite large and it, it tips its cap to everybody from like Bowie to John Lennon and stuff like that. It's a fairly big bandy record. And so I already have my mission statement for my next record to be ultra stripped, ultra, ultra stripped. So, you know, trying to spread it's it around. It's so hard to do that, that though, too. Like, I, you know, the ideal is to write Pink Moon by Nick Drake, you know, the because Nick yeah. Drake's interesting in that he, you know, his career, I don't know what number Pink Moon was. It was his final album and his magnum opus as it were and the rumor was he just sort of you know was so depressive he dropped it off at the record company and didn't even wait to talk to anyone and wow. i mean who knows if that's a real story or not but it's just a stunningly beautiful album and even the songwriting itself i mean the production is basically him singing with an acoustic guitar but even the songwriting is minimal some of the song ideas are almost barely ideas in a way and definitely they're almost barely songs but they're but somehow they're genius songs you know what i mean absolutely when i first started going leaning more toward the the the, the solo route we might have talked about duncan chic too he, he we had mutual friends so i knew duncan and it's the same thing i think we both came to the nick drake thing the big takeaway was the the minimalist and also the 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 very dead guitar string sound which I've mm -hmm. really carried through. I always say I want my guitar to sound like it was dug out of the ground. Like Nick Drake, there's just no top end on his guitars. They really sound like old strings, which is, is so kind of woody and soulful and a little bit more intimate and a little more hushed. And so I really do love that. And it's funny because a lot of those Nick Drake classics, there's two versions. There's ones with strings and one without. And there's arguments for both. But at the end of the day, on the desert island, you're going to take the one without all the stuff, you know? Well, his early albums all had big orchestrations on them, and and uh, but then yeah, Pink Moon finally didn't. So he he that was his journey, and I don't know as a songwriter the challenge of having a album that stands on just you singing with a with an acoustic guitar, having songs that are strong enough to withstand that um is the ideal but then it's so hard to not put like a falsetto background vocal on the chorus and a tambourine <laughs> you know what i mean like which you do beautifully you've got a beautiful falsetto at your disposal and so there's always an argument to put it in there you know also early early on i got into grant lee buffalo and grant lee became a friend and he's amazing and he's got an unbelievable falsetto as well 
And so I love that too. I, I, there's no rules, but it, I just think yeah. for me, from project to project and record to record or whatever, like sometimes they want to be big and sometimes they want to be small. But just again, because Josh is just the soulful singer, and I just thought if, if we put a bunch of stuff on it, it's just going to lose its potency. And just, again, the basic tracks, I was just like, holy hell, this is so happening and real in a world of nothing feels real anymore. Just great players. You know, I always say for me as a producer, when I have the budget and the good fortune, I want to surround myself with the best possible players I can get and have them pl play it in as few notes as possible just because they'll pick the right notes. And I always say the space is a member of the band. So make sure that that's got its time, you know, so we can let a, something hang for a bar or a cymbal decay all the way to one. And it's just so beautiful. And you might have missed it if you put a bunch of shit in there. Yeah, it covers stuff up. And Brian Eno is famous for the, the power of setting limitations as a creative tool. But I'm wondering, too, on that project you just produced, how many of the scratch vocals beat the uh, actual attempts at a real vocal? I, it's it's funny you mention that too. Um, I, again, knowing that I was going to do his vocals separately, we sort of have the technology here to do it both ways, but I, I have the piano in the room behind me. And so I shut the door, but I purposely, I get some bleed, some crosstalk between the drums and the piano, which I think is sort of the secret sauce of my space, you know? Um, but anyway, uh, I had a, a handheld condenser for him to do his scratches with, and he did sing his ass off. And there was a couple of scratches that I'm like, oh my God, I could totally use that if, if we had to. And the, the to your point, when it came time to do vocals, you know, it's like, oh, am I starting to get a tickle? You know, singers like, oh shit, I'm, I've flown to LA, so everything's riding on this. The chances of a vocal issue are can be quite high. And um, so I got three great vocals out of him. And then the third day, his voice was getting a little raspy. So I sent him home and he came back and we really had to tiptoe to get the last song out of him. And so we would just do a few take. I, I of course, just pretended that it wasn't a big deal. It's totally fine. Sound great. Let's take a break, blah, blah, blah. So, but he was, he, he, he put Icy Hot on his neck, which I've never done before, but it was actually interesting, or Tiger Bomb rather. Um, so we just kind of got it in increments and grabbed a couple of verses. And so, uh, I always think a gift that I seem to be bestowed with as a producer is I know when we've got enough. And so I didn't want to push him too much. I didn't want him to get threadbare. And so when it came time to comp it, it was right to the razor, man. Like I had like one outro or one this, but I found all that I needed and it's an unbelievable performance. And the fact that he was a little bit raspy ended up, I think, being the secret sauce that really makes that performance so cool. So it was a gift, you know. I'm I'm really thrilled with it, and yeah, it was a it was a little <laughs> dicey there for a second, but it, it came out. So, he hasn't heard it yet. I'm, I told him, "Thanks for not hounding me. Just give me a few days to like really get it comp to where I feel it's really great, so I can present it to him." And because I, I just think it's stunning, I, I'm super stoked. Really, he's a great singer. That's exciting. And, yeah. Well, the reason yeah, I yeah. asked that question was because. You mentioned ego as well, like it was an egoless space that Absolutely. the masters could produce and you could then also land in. And and the emotion you expressed too in describing it, I can totally relate. There's nothing better than when the magic of music is happening and it's kind of effortless and it's coming out better than you could have imagined. And it, it is a spiritual thing. It, it, egolessness is, is sort of 
a good description for it but also like for singers the more unconscious they are like if something doesn't matter so many times my throwaway vocals at home um become impossible for me to outdo because i just um was in a space where i was barely trying i wasn't really trying there was zero pressure i didn't think it was going to be a vocal i just thought it was me getting it down and i would do it again later and then when you have that light it it's not surprising that when the light of okay now it's time to really get your take right that he struggled because that is almost a setup for that struggle really yeah i i think in that moment you can get into like oh my god this is forever where the flip side of it is like this is the moment and like that's what you want to capture you're not going to be thinking like oh my god this is for posterity this is for all the marbles like I, I just right now we're making music and to your point yeah I, i've had a couple of things where i'll just temp it sitting down the microphone's too far away or whatever because i'm just like oh this is just a scratcher and then come back and it's got the total vibe and you can mess around all day but like you already have it you know so just call it a mm-hmm. gift but yeah. again, I, I do love producing vocals. I love working with singers and I really like to get them in a place where they feel super safe and relaxed. And I like that. And then comping vocals also, I really love. I really love like the Easter egg hunting. And and again, we I try not to get tons of takes, you know, three to six or something. And and then ju- on my own record, I set a limit, a, a limit uh, of three takes. <clears throat> and so, to comp that together can, can be again scary. Something like, oh, if I just had one more of this or that. But it's nice to have those sort of constraints to like keep it real and sort of honest and and not lose the intention and again think too far down the road with it. Just think it's always about like selling the story and sort of being connected to what the song really is about in the first place. To explain what comping is for those that don't know, it's when you take a vocal and you sing it multiple times and then you pick the the right phrases of each, the best phrases of each take and put it all together in one take. So it's like this superstar vocal take that didn't really happen in one take. But in pop records, in like the real expensive pop records, they do it syllable by syllable. They'll like oh, judge sure. syllables and it, like it gets real intricate. I mean, right. I, let me ask you this based on that description of comping, um, because it's kind of a Frankenstein like process. Have you ever done comps where you've comped the whole thing together and then somehow it didn't have the as good of a soul as a single take that you took some of the parts from probably but i do i do sort of i i like the comping and i think i do it well and i i have a thing too where i'm working with a lot of singers a lot of them will sing their song 80 million different ways when, from when we write it to when we come in or whatever, and then I sort of take it upon myself. I'm trying to, I always say, like, find the forever melody, the the elevator music version. So we have the last chorus, and there's 89 different ways to skin the cat, and, like, trying to pick the one that, that again, if you had to play it on a toy piano, like, that's how the chorus goes. And so, for sure, if we can get a really great, you know, I worked with Senya Sargent last year from Holland, and we just got a couple takes out of her and there were massive chunks of the song where she was just on a tear that were just so good. I giggled when I was comping that, you know, opening up the files. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe we captured this. It's just such a moment. And obviously you're going for that realism. 
But yeah, in terms of phrasing and rhythm and things like that, just obviously if it scans as, as Frankenstein together, it's a total fail, the, the idea. I was really, I felt way better about myself when I learned that Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah was a comp because just it's the god vocal of all times you think oh of course he just knocked that out <laughs> in one ridiculous. take but but you yeah. know he was a, a mortal as well and like John Lennon too he would do three takes in the studio and leave and they you guys do what you do just like yeah. balls to the you know so well, they would I, I double think a lot okay. too yeah. what, what about doubled vocals what's your take on doubling the vocal Bowie doubled a lot Totally, and you know Simon and Garfunkel were triple tracked, uh, and I love that sound. And I think also, can't remember if we talked about it last time either. But when Elliot Smith came out, like his sound instantly just like made my hair stick up. And I I think again it harkened back to the Simon and Garfunkel sort of feathery doubliness of my youth. And and so I've done definitely songs where I have double or triple track vocals pan super hard. And also Jeff Tweedy, like Solitaire, for example, that's a triple vocal that's just life changing. And hmm. he he's another he's another guy that is like thinks I always think sort of a high watermark for realism. Their music, their records sound crazy good, and and they can be fairly dense productions, but they can also be really Spartan and just honest. Uh, uh, you know, Ryan Adams as well. He's not afraid sometimes to put out some stuff that's not particularly perfect, but it's got the vibes. And I always say like the high watermark for that is the kinks. Like they will leave stuff that is patently imperfect and you wouldn't want it any other way. It's a reminder that that's the reason you respond to it is because it feels so real. And Bob kind of Dylan as well, man. Bob Dylan Absolutely. leaves the bass mistakes in. I mean, and then they they hit you wrong the first time you listen to the song, and then pretty soon they become your favorite part of the song, strangely. Totally. Uh, Maggie May, which is probably in my top three favorite songs of all time. There's a bass clam coming out of the bridge that's just... Uh, actually, coming out of the guitar solo. Yeah, that's just, like, awesome. The take Perfect. is so good. What are you going to do? Yeah. Not keep that take. Yeah. Well, you could e easily punch in and fix that even back then with tape. But like, you know, and I'm wondering too, and I got to take a break, but think about this on the break. How, okay. how, what about demo-itis? Because what happens to me is I get attached to a vocal. It'll be imperfect, but I'll listen to it a few times and suddenly I'll form an emotional connection with it. And I'm not sure how much of that is me bamboozling myself or uh, how much of that is legitimate um, soul protection. But think of that and we'll be right back after these words on TNT. TNT's Darren Denslow. Yeah, I'm talking about the illness. Actually, that has done, has been doing the rhymes. Not have we only seen a, uh, a mass influx of people waving their COVID tests online. Look, I got a red line. It's like, oh my God, people are still testing. Or people, you know, trying to encourage others to wear their masks. Um, but there has been a talk of a dry cough. There have been doctors coming out saying we've seen loads of cases of that. Uh, have you been suffering from, you know, a bit of cough and flu or cold? Or COVID. Well, Darren, I, COVID. I, I just I just did my eighth test oh, and okay. um, I, I'm just going to keep doing it until I get lines and lines. Why? Well, because work's coming back up, isn't it? Digging deeper with D.D. Denslow on today's News Talk TNT. God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the Church of Jesus Christ. 
look to the past, learn from the past, because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40 California has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine. Government that stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. When I went into the White House, when I sat in on the task force meetings, was a shocking level of gross incompetence. The mortality rate from the virus was 0.2%. You know, 99.8% survival, rather than the three or 4% mortality that the, the people are saying at the time. The culture and the understanding of the people of Grace Church has always been, not only do you obey government, but you honor government. Thousands of people in the streets, but you can't have church. The hypocrisy of letting people riot it helped us all understand one thing. This is not what they say it is. By meeting, we're testifying the government has no jurisdiction here. I was arrested and driven to a maximum security prison. The government has obviously uh, turned up the heat on churches. My daddy. <laughs> when the churches fall silent, the only religion left is the state. We needed to make a biblical statement because we always put ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. LA County threatened Pastor John MacArthur with jail time and arrest. We were going to be sued. They wanted Grace Church shut down. We wanted to go on the offensive and attack the health order as unconstitutional. This wasn't about health and safety. This was all about control and opposition to religious freedom. As the government gets more corrupt and more corrupt, snitches get rewards. Its totalitarian control has to increase. And you have to have a mask on. And as they shut down any attacks against them. This is not about freedom or personal choice. The last thing standing is going to be the church. It's time to switch on today's news talk radio. Very entertaining. TNT. And we're back with singer-songwriter Shane Alexander. So what did you think, Shane, about that question about demo-itis in terms of vocal takes and falling in love with certain things? Does, does that ever happen to you? I try not to do proper demos. I use, like, phone recordings. I make notes about what I like. I, I try not to record it twice, pr pretty much for that same reason. I like to see what kind of comes out in the moment. And uh, I... Uh, when I'm working with people or when I'm writing myself, I do phone recordings, make notes next to the recording. I like the bridge. I like the this. I like this melody or whatever. But yeah, I don't want to go back to the well too many times because I think it'll start to maybe dilute the soup or something. Uh, mm -hmm. So I don't do a lot of real demoing. I just uh, I, I usually just do a lot of phone recordings until it's go time. What I mean, though, is demo-itis in terms of the actual recording. I just call it demo-itis because it's when you're working on a track and you're recording it for real and you might want to comp a vocal, but you've gotten attached to it. That's what I mean, like forming oh, 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 emotional okay. attachments within the actual recording. Yeah, I, I, I'm always trying to somehow remain objective and zoom out. And, and that's a thing where... 
it's interesting to be an, a, an artist person and then also be a producer person so you can see your behaviors in yourself in others where you can get attached sometimes and sometimes you can get so fixated on minutia that you're not seeing big picture. Like, I just think whatever's best for the song wins. And if the performance of the first take, like you said, is great, then awesome. And if it's not, we try to figure out why. It's it's something intangible. I always say in my whole career, I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's just like this Frogger thing of no, 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 yes, there it is. And like once, once it's there, it's there forever. Once I know that we found the thing, like just a switch flips and I can get on with my life. But until then, it's like this puzzle that's unsolved and it drives me absolutely mental. Sometimes we get it quick. Again, like over the weekend, it was just such a joy. It was, and I felt like we had a really good game plan going in. We'd done pre-production on Zoom. And also I, I hung with him when I was in Nashville a few months ago and just tried to really make sure we felt, had a really good game plan going in. I like to leave a little to chance, but not too much to chance to where we can get in the weeds with the clock rolling and a lot of musicians in here that are it's like herding cats to get them in the first place. The power of collaboration is awesome, but you're somebody who can do it all yourself. You're a producer and songwriter. I'm assuming you've made records all on your own. What do you think the distinction is between working that way and the magic that other people can bring? Yeah, I'm a big fan of bringing other people in. I have a lot of friends that are super accomplished producers that can do it all themselves. I'm not, I can't play drums uh, well enough to be on my own record. That's for damn sure. Uh, so that that's right out of the gate. I, I have done like complete EPs where I played everything, but there weren't drums. There was percussion or whatever. But I really am trying to preserve this this thing of human beings and their their influences and their stories rubbing up on each other. To, for something sort of, you know, three guys in a room equals 10 guys or whatever. And, and also to feed the ecosystem of getting musicians paid and keeping that whole thing alive. I have a lot of friends, like I said, that are amazing producers and they can make stunning records alone, often in the box or play things. And I I have no problem with that. But for me, like the joy is to, to like work with other people and, 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 particularly accomplished musicians where I can reference this random thing from the 80s or 90s or the 2000s or the 60s or whatever, and they know what I'm talking about. And, oh, well, if we could do a little more reggae or maybe a little ska for the bridge or give me 80s stones. I was working with Aaron Sterling one time, who's a drum god, and I'm like, can I do like a hi-hat, like an 80s stones thing in the bridge? And he just did it instantly. I'm like, oh, my God, there it is, you know, and that is just such a fun reveal. I always feel it's a real gift when you have those ideas put in your head and the fact that I listened to music profusely my whole life and was glued to MTV all that time. I didn't know it at the time, but that was setting me up to be a producer later. So I really have this lovely sort of encyclopedia of pop music, particularly in the 80s where anything goes in the charts and on MTV, right? We could go from total metal to Thompson Twins, but the, you know, the, the, the one thing that linked them all together was the songs were good the songs were working mm -hmm. and so it's yeah. it, it just like we need something in the bridge we need a locomotion or we need a sparkle or we need a this i, I just i just love the search it's uh, it gives me joy <laughs> i love 80 stones i think tattoo you was the first album i ever bought start me up and all that <laughs> hang fire and, and like miss, oh, and miss waiting you. on a friend miss you waiting on a oh, friend. waiting on a friend that's the best song ever Waiting on it's the best. It's the best video ever too. It's just yeah. it's so hip. Yeah, they, yep. and they 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 dip their toe into the disco thing just enough. 
Yeah. And it, that, that record felt really New York and the sax, you know, I always feel like the sax is such an East Coast instrument. And like the sax on Waiting on a Friend, like you could just hear like the sax smacking between the brick buildings you know, in the outro. I just love it. Yeah. You yeah. know, another good one, and then I want to hear one of your new songs is uh, Ronnie Wood's album, I've Got My Own Album to Do. That's a that's a classic. It's a sort of forgotten classic. It's amazing. There's a song track three called "Mystify Me." Check that out. Oh yeah. But yeah. anyway, without yeah. further ado, or do you know that record? I do. I do. I know that song too. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good song. Anyway, listen, uh, we could go on all night, but I got to hear one of your new songs, man. It sounds like you make your own luck is the title, and I love that yeah. concept straight straight away. All right. It goes nothing like this. Butterflies and walls of blue glass Some things in life you can never get past Trust and believe, let it come around world that'll tell you who you are it's harder than it sounds you make your own love you find your own way it's never too late you can find again in a world that'll tell you who you are you can lose your mind trying to find just where to draw the line you make your own love Falling like a feather, slowly to the earth Sometimes it all depends on who gets there first Trust and believe, let it come to you In a world that'll tell you who you are It can be so hard to do You make your own love, you find your own way It's never too late, you can start again in a world that'll tell you who you are You can lose your mind trying to find just where to draw the line You make your own love Stepping stones and broken bones Love lost along the way we all have to live with the choices You make your own love, you find your own way It's never too late, you can start again In a world that'll tell you who you are Flying blind on borrowed time, the edge is never far In a world that'll tell you who you are Mind trying to find just where to draw the line. You make your own love. Fantastic, man. The, the melody, the supporting melody in the guitar is really stunning, too. It's just so well-crafted. 
Thank you. Yeah, I wrote that with my buddy Danny McGaw uh, from England, who's amazing. And I was thinking about you when I was playing it because it is produced. It is a full band version on the record, but the band doesn't come in until the instrumental. And it's 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 really cool. I'm I'm really stoked about it. And my dear friend Chris Pierce played harmonica on it too, which is super vibey. So hmm. it's cool. I like the line about the world will tell you who you are. Um, explain what that means to you. In a world that can tell you who you are, meaning where we're constantly being judged or feel like we're being judged. In a, in a world uh, that can tell you who you are, you can lose your mind trying to find where to draw the line. Um, mm -hmm. I, I like that. It, it's nice to say that on stage. I think it's a, it's a line for people to kind of chew on. I think it's true because whatever morality looks like is sort of in the eye of the beholder. But, and we are constantly barraged with all of this sort of information and disinformation and things like that. So where to draw the line, who you want to be. Uh, I think it's, it's important that we have our own sort of compass in life. And I, 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 I can't remember if we talked about it too much last time, but in like, whatever was January of 2020, I stopped watching the news on television. Like I saw the January 6th thing. It really freaked me out to see it in real life. I, I felt like actual trauma. And uh, I, I just stopped watching the news. Of course I check in, I'm hip to things, but in the weeks leading up to it, it was like watching a fuse burn down and it became sort of like an addiction where it was just like, oh, it's today the day where they pull the thing and the whole thing falls down. And then watching it in real time was very, very disturbing to me. And so, yeah, I've kind of stepped back from that. And the further you step back from it, the more you see that it, so much of it is theater. So much of it is is to make, make you think or respond or blame somebody other than who you should be blaming and things like that. And so I just, I just try to, you know, I just want to be a light in a weird world and use my voice for good and truth the best I can. Love my family and my friends and make music. And I don't want to like fixate on doom scrolling type things because there's so much of it. And so, uh, yeah, that song isn't particularly uplifting or anything, but I, I just like the sort of honesty of it. And I do think, you know, the, the expression of you make your own luck, which I know to say that there's people that are challenged and they, they can't do that. So even putting that out, sometimes I feel like, oh, am I overstepping or is that a dickish thing to say? But at the same time, no, most man. of my friends, uh, most of my friends that have had really amazing lives, they, they you know, fortune favors the bold. They went out and they figured yeah, shit dude. out. It's, yeah. it's nice to humanity to tell them the truth. And the truth is, man, if you if you take on a victim consciousness that's not going to help your journey in life if you it might be you know on paper you might be justified in taking on victim consciousness however that's not going to help you because this because it'd be like if somebody got betrayed right and and uh the first two weeks they were heartbroken or something and you were like kind of there listening to them letting them sort of wallow in it and you were there just being supportive just being a friend but then like four years later they were still right. wallowing what if right. are you a good friend if you say hey dude you know what man i understand that happened to you but you're gonna have to like pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get on with it man you got you got to quit obsessing about this or are you a good friend if you say, man, you're right. They really did you wrong. If <laughs> right. You should For be 
constantly thinking about this it's like dude come on it's like it's not that they didn't really get done wrong and i'm not speaking of any group specifically i'm just saying in general victim consciousness is obviously not good so when you say something like you make your own luck you're 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 giving us the kick in the behind we all need we have and also by the way when you said the and and i'll get the line wrong again but forgive me for that just because you know in a world yeah. that can tell you who you are or yeah. will tell you who you are, however yeah. it goes. Yeah. I in, I didn't think at all about the news or anything. I totally took that on as a in the psychological realm of we give ourselves self-limiting identities and we can overcome if we can envision ourselves um, out of those self-limiting identities. And so that's how I was resonating with the song full on. Great. And dude, yeah, that you make your own luck. It's like, yeah, man, it's good. It's there's nothing wrong with that at all with with uh, telling people Great. that they yeah, I, are powerful. I think so too. It's not it's not evil to tell people that they have the capacity to be powerful. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you will do better than me if you can conceive of yourself. Uh, to the degree of what you can conceive yourself to be, that is what you will be. That's just the design of humanity. It's the, we didn't make the rules. That's just the rules. Yeah, I, I feel that way, and I, I try to live that way. And, and I, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to an artist friend last night that went through a major, uh, tra- two major losses in a year, and he did sort of a spoken word slash performance art thing last night, where he was processing his pain. It was very beautiful. It was very cool. And for we as artists to go through heavy things, to go through traumas, to have an art artistic way to 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 sort of turn it into something positive, I just think is such a gift, and not everybody sort of has that. So, I think depending on your upbringing or what your family thing looks like is how you your art might manifest based on that. And if we can take those we talked about the buddhist thing the this concept of turning poison into medicine whatever the poison is whatever the poison is like figure out how to way to turn it into a win believe it and and get to the place where you're thankful for that thing happening i'm better for it i can pay it forward i can be a better friend i can be a mentor or whatever because i've been through the shit too and so same thing to your point uh uh inspiring people like as a producer like so many artists that are just kind of getting in the game or they're half in the game like you have to say you have to do it you you make your own luck you have to get out there you have to do this and or you don't because it's if not everybody it, it can tear a lot of people to shreds emotionally comparing yourself to others or this or that is really can be very challenging for a lot of people and so i'm always so protective of artists that i work with and at the same time I try to do as much Miyagi Obi-Wan as I can to be like, you got to be proactive. You got to f- make the context. You got to get out there. You got to do this stuff or nothing will happen. So you've just got to figure out what it is that, what you want, that you want and go after it. And I've got my ass handed to me so many times as a full-time artist. It's insane. And luckily, I've got a really supportive wife. And like somehow, she's just been with me through this crazy thing. And over the years, we've celebrated the big moments. And when it's got lean, it can be really scary. And you feel like the worst guy ever out on the road and things back home are a mess. Or it's it's it's, right. it's not for the faint of heart, you know? No. And no one's coming for your rescue and no one's coming to discover you. You know, that's the thing. It, it, like, I, I think right. many, we wait many years for somebody. <laughs> certainly somebody's going to come and pull me out of this mess I'm in, Right. right? No, yeah. <laughs> it's but, gotta but, but be you. you. You make your own luck. 
Right. And then when you cross that threshold, then you're actually realize that you're totally free because, like, oh, did the guy come to the show? Right. The, the gatekeeper-y guy, did he like my shit? It's like, fuck that guy. Right. I'm making the care. art that's coming out of my body. I'm honoring the muse that does feels like a spiritual gift. And I just yeah. want to do the best with whatever humble gifts I have and like try to touch people's hearts in the twilight of civilization. <laughs> Let's do it, my brother. Let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after these words on TNT. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I was asked today by someone, what makes me mad? What gets me anxious? Lies, distortion, not telling the whole truth, trying to paint something different than what it actually is because you have an agenda. That gets me upset. The reason it gets me upset is I think everyone should have the opportunity to decide for themselves, based on all information possible, what they want to do with their lives. Let's take the global temperature. The global temperature is a very poor metric for measuring the climate. Better than the global temperature is what we call the wet bulb temperature, which is the saturation temperature of the air. And even better than that, just use pure water vapor. That explains everything. If we try the amount of increase of water vapor. We know the correlation between temperature and water vapor. It explains beautifully what's going on. We don't even need any CO2 back radiation theory, but you're not going to hear that. It makes me mad. And you know why it makes me mad? Because it's not telling the truth. It's hiding the truth, distorting the truth. And that means that you cannot make the decision you need to make as an individual with your free will. And basically, that's what this whole climate fight is all about. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Most people are unaware that bad bacteria can grow quickly in food that's stored, prepped, or cooked incorrectly, and that can lead to food poisoning. To avoid bad bacteria, always make sure your hands and cooking utensils are clean. Keep raw meat and chicken away from food that won't be cooked. Run your fridge at or below 5 degrees Celsius, and use a meat thermometer to ensure your meat's being cooked to at least 75 degrees Celsius. For more tips on keeping bad bacteria at bay, visit foodsafety.asn.au. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT, with Joseph Arthur and his Technicolor Dreamcast. Doing breath work here, ladies and gentlemen, doing breath work. I'm here with Shane Alexander, and we're going to hear another tune, Something Real Never Die, right? When something's real, it never dies. How's it go again? Something real never dies. Something real never dies, Shane Alexander. Something 
Something Real Never Dies, Shane Alexander. That one has a completely different quality to everything else that you've played on TNT. Um, it's cool, man. It it reminds me of Oasis meets like the church or something. Does that nice. ring a bell? Definitely there's a little churchiness uh, to the album version, uh, for sure. Love the church. Love uh, Bob Clearmountain is a god, and he did the church. <laughs> Yeah, he also did uh, more than this uh, by uh, uh, music, which is another one of my high water marks in life. It's crazy. I got to have dinner with Brian Ferry one time, and this girl. Did you really? Seeing... Yeah, in Paris. He... That's a, like he... such a name drop. But hey, you brought but, up Brian yeah, Ferry. He's, he's, so. he's the most elegant man in rock and roll, right? What a cool. Yeah. Cat. He was cool. We were both, I think, being handled by Virgin Records over there, and so it was like some. I don't know. It was cool. It, was, it wasn't like we were broing down or anything. We were just happened to be at the same table. Um, I saw him at but, the Greek with Rufus Wainwright opening a beautiful night. Wow. So in that song, is it because you're playing in standard tuning? So in the other songs that you've played here, it's been open tunings or sort of un non-traditional open chord tunings, right? That That sort of lend to a different kind of songwriting is that right i mean and there's something about this melody with the standard tuning where you're you're doing taking bigger leaps and bigger intervals i feel like uh well the last song something uh you make your own luck was uh, it was also in standard it was just t tuned down a half step this is just getting blown up a half step to compensate but this one is just it's in g minor and just has a lot of sort of open strings ringing throughout um so mm -hmm. we just sort of have that droniness uh, yeah, I, I think I wanted that sort of jump in the chorus. I, I, I wrote this with my friend Rich Jacks, who's an amazing artist and producer himself. And the song came out really quickly. And we were just the, the concept of, of first love and, and sort of capturing that in a bottle. And, and I don't know, I just think maybe the big jump just had a nostalgic sort of feel to it. 
a sort of a long it has that it, it it's good it works really well is that going to be on the album you're working on right now no that's on my previous record that's on my oh, album okay. bliss but yeah it's it's a and that, i mentioned aaron sterling he played drums on it and he's just so great and i wanted these very linear drums without a lot going on and he just he crushed it he did three takes one was busy one was not busy and then the third one just like top to bottom thank you that's why you're aaron sterling he's just such a stud yeah when you say sort of linear drumming, I think of Smashing Pumpkins, 1979. Absolutely. And and again, we talked about more than this. That is the most cruisy linear thing of all time. And also we talked about uh, Ryan Adams. He did a record, whatever, maybe eight years ago called Ryan Adams. And so much of the drumming is just like, but, 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 but the snare just, you know, it, it's so straight. The whole record is so straight. And also the War on Drugs record, uh, Lost in the Dream, I love the shit out of it. The drums are so stinking linear. There's barely a fill to be had anywhere, but it's just kind of, you just get on this train and it's just, you're just cruising and it just feels really nice. And particularly over the course of a full record, it just feels like it, it brings you into a room. People don't listen to records down like they used to, but that record is just so special as a piece uh, just because it really puts you in a, in a space. I love that. Band. I, I mentioned I Oasis cool. on that song. I wonder, do you ever uh, think about Noel Gallagher's songwriting and what makes it so impactful, why he's had so much success with it and Oasis and just because the songwriting is interesting. It's anthemic. It fits in stadiums. Obviously, Liam Gallagher is like a superstar in his DNA and, and just like one of the best front men of all time, really. But I mean, I think of Noel Gallagher songwriting sometimes in that way, and I, I don't really usually try to write an Oasis song. I did once. It's called Exhausted. You can go listen to it. It sounds like an Oasis song, but okay. um, um, yeah, it's on Come to Where I'm From. I think you'll hear it and, and hear the okay. Oasis band. I have the it, utmost but... respect for them, but I, I, I don't really listen to them. Uh, um, right. But I do. Uh, it's funny because for me, in the kind of in the same wheelhouse to a slightly lesser, slightly less, I guess, successful extent is the Verve. Like Richard right. Ashcroft. Now, there's a cat that I just I think is just the coolest thing in the world. I saw them at an early Coachella, and it was so funny because. Uh, Jack Johnson headlined and the Verve was second to last and like they and they were staying at our hotel I saw them by the pool I'm like holy Richard Ashcroft the dude is just such a baller and his voice was so massive they were a four-piece band and so hip I was just like I was knocked out I'm like and, and I love his solo records I think he's just super cool similar uh, English strummy not completely intricate stuff um, but he he resonates with me a little bit more you know i'm a lucky man da, 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 da. so many great songs and i think his voice is just the coolest yeah but i do think like yeah. noel gallagher is just like such a cool cat i love to see him interviewed i love everything that falls out of his mouth liam liam mm -hmm. for a completely different way he's just all you know swagger and whatever but but uh with noel there is like a real wisdom there a patented sort of English wisdom and a reverence for the Beatles and stuff, obviously that I just think they deserve all they have. And I love the brother thing that they have. And I, I totally understand why it works. And, and to your point, the choruses are quite simple, but so soaring and they just stand up in a giant field of 60,000 people so well. Yeah. Do you think less... of songwriting like that? Do you, I guess that's where I was kind of going with it. Do you ever, 
how much do you utilize your mind versus is pure inspiration in other words like how much do you bend your songs to try to be something that could be a hit versus just inspired in the moment delivered from the beyond probably to my own detriment almost none i really do try to serve the muse and you know again there's there's the paul simons's and the the cat stevens's and and again the jeff buckley's and whatever people that i love that somehow do creep in but again to my own detriment i never try to chase that stuff because and i've worked in studios in europe or whatever where i'm writing with people and they're literally pulling up like a james bay song and we're like oh you know this was hot this week and i'm like it just sucks the joy it's it's just it's counter it's it's not how i roll i i really i i again probably to my own detriment but I, I just want to try to honor the muse and, and just let it come out. And I think just the fact that I've listened to music my whole life, that's going to come out anyway. But I don't ever want to, like, fixate on somebody's shit. And, and, uh, but again, like, to your, you, you mentioned the, the, the churchiness. You know, there, there's the little bit of churchy, which I wasn't shooting for, but I listened back to it. I'm like, there's definitely some churchy vibes in there. But I love that song, so it's not crazy. But I don't try to ape anybody or or really think along those lines too much because i just i don't know uh i'm i try to retain this sort of purist optimist uh, uh thing which is a little uh, childish and most people in the modern world don't work that way but it's what gives me joy and uh, like we were saying before you get to a point in your art where you don't care anymore and you just want to make what's coming out and i'm just grateful that anything's coming out <laughs> uh, you know, that's the main thing. I'm so grateful that I'm still inspired and I still like it. And, and right. so I just want to try to write real lyrics that resonate with me. We talked about it last time, too. I think the hardest thing about songwriting is finding something to sing about. That's the challenge. But I'll get kernels of a story and put it in my phone. And then when it comes time to raise it up, like, I just I just want to have to believe what I'm saying. I don't ever want to like this might make me a trillion dollars, but I don't believe it. Like that, that wouldn't, that would not be fun for me. Yeah, it's interesting. It's really the distinction between how much you're utilizing your mind or the the mental activity versus like heart and soul and pure inspiration. And I think a lot of people do sort of engage the mind and listen to a song and try to kind of ape a portion of it and bend yeah. it and change it. But that isn't nearly as fun as just being so inspired and having something sort of naturally arise that, like you said, will have echoes of things you've taken in anyway. So it, but and, it's and, an interesting debate on, I think there, sometimes it's okay to use a little of, of the Of course, the Beatles too. and the you know, Beach Boys and stuff like that, they were definitely- They all did it riffing off of each other and i was gonna say you know we talked about it a bit last time do it quick and tell I... people where to find you because we're down to one minute shane sorry okay uh, uh shane alexander music.com on instagram i'm shane alexander music shane alexander on spotify or wherever you're listening yeah and say what um, you were about to say if you could say it i was just gonna seconds. say when i first encountered your music uh your whole sort of ethos inspired me of, of being a singer songwriter but also being an artist and sort of a rock starry sort of outside the box Again, the Bowie or the, they're the Lennon or whatever, so it's not so folky. It's sort of whatever the song wants to be. That really it was right. a big inspiration for me. So, cheers Dane, to you. thanks for coming on, man. The songs were beautiful, and uh, I loved them. So thank you, my friend. And, Always a pleasure. Uh, good luck. Good luck with the new album, and we'll see you again soon. Keep listening to TNT, everybody, and have a beautiful weekend.